So glad that you're here. What a wonderful and beautiful Mother's Day that we're having. What a great job Ken did around the Lord's Supper and Wes and the praise team have done with our praise today. So glad that all of our mothers are here uh, that are present. If, if you're, you're a mom and present today, would you stand and let us just at least give you a round of applause? Yes. Just remain standing and now... Um, Amen. Will the rest of us stand and join them for a reading from God's Word? We're reading from Ephesians chapter 5 today. If you're our guest today, we're in the middle of a series of Ephesians. Perfect message for today. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives with their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church, and we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However... Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You may be seated. It's an amazing text there. And, and I want you to see two things there that I think are really important in this text. First of all, there's a real obvious teaching in this text that I think we need to point out today. And there's also what I call a, almost a hidden secret that I think that could transform your marriage found in this text. First of all, what is the obvious teaching of Ephesians 5 that our culture needs to hear today? There's no way of getting around it. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That, that's what he says. You, you can't turn anywhere in Scripture and get a different definition of marriage than that. Whatever our culture may argue today and discuss and what may be before the Supreme Court today, if we as Christians want to give a biblical definition of marriage, there's nowhere in Scripture we could go anywhere to find anything different than marriage is between a man and a woman. Amen? Now, right now, before us, our Supreme Court is in the middle of a pretty robust discussion about this subject. And I've been paying attention to that. And I think some of the justices have made some points that really would lend to our discussion today. Let's, let's, let's listen to a few of these. Justice Anthony Kennedy said this, The word that keeps coming back to me in this case is millennia. This definition has been with us for millennia. It's very difficult for the court to say, Oh well, we know better. And guys, that's what's before us in this debate in our culture today is after millennia of in every culture, 
every religion, marriage being between a man and a woman, for us to throw our hands up is pretty arrogant and say, well, you know, we know better. We can define this, redefine this ancient institution. Listen to what Chief Justice John uh, Roberts says. He's saying to the people that were pushing the gay marriage agenda, you're not seeking to join the institution, you're seeking to change what the institution is. And that truly is what's going on. And then Justice Samuel Alito, he, he makes this point. Until the end of the 20th century, there never has been a nation or a culture that recognizes marriage between two people of the same sex. This never, never happened. And so today in this debate, for Christian people, we go back to what the Word says. Now, we don't go back to be cruel or to mean, or we don't go back to throw stones at people with same-sex attraction. We need to be pretty even about this. Or we need to treat this behavior as sinful. But we don't need to treat it as different kind of sinful than other kind of sinful. Let's make a, 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 a bold statement about what the Bible teaches. And listen closely to what I'm about to say, because the first line may throw you off. God did not ordain sex between a man and a woman. He ordained sex between a husband and a wife. Okay? So that means on this issue of sexual sins, lots of people come up short. So see, people are going to say to us today, and we're going to be getting this question more and more, because... There will be people probably even here today. They go, okay, I come to this church with same-sex attraction. They may even show up with their partner. How in the world will you treat us in this church? Let me say this clearly. We will treat you like we treat any other sinner. If a heterosexual couple shows up in this church and they're living together outside of marriage, we're going to love them, we're going to care for them, we're going to embrace them. But at the same time, there will come a point where we will need to say, this behavior is not acceptable to God. If a same-sex attraction couple comes to this church, what are we going to do? We're going to love them, we're going to care for them, but we will also have that point where we must say, this behavior is not all right with God. And so I, I want you to know today, we, we're going to take a clear biblical stand about how the Bible defines marriage, but we're also going to take a clear biblical stand about the compassion and grace that God gives. And so we have a ministry through this church called Pathways that is there to help not only people that are going through the struggle of same-sex attraction, but to help families that may have family members. And it's, this ministry, we don't talk about it a lot, but it's a great ministry. Right now, we're, we're actually partnering with First Baptist Church downtown as a part of this ministry, looking for another church to partner with us so that this could be more citywide. Because we, we want, when, in this controversial issue, we don't want to come across as some judgmental people. But on the other hand, we don't want to come across as people that aren't willing to stand for what the Bible teaches. I think it is perfectly we are perfectly capable of being like Jesus on this issue like any other issue and being full of grace and truth. Amen? So, that's a clear teaching here that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, there's also in this text uh, what I call the hidden secret of marriage. It's actually found in the last verse in this text. The hidden secret in Ephesians is this. Wives need love, husbands need respect. You say, where do you get that? 
If you got your Bible open, look at verse 33. Paul slipped something in on us that I never noticed. Maybe we didn't notice this because it's the end of the text. And by then our mind is somewhere else. Maybe we just thought Paul got his words wrong. But listen to what he says in verse 33. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. What do you notice that's odd there? What do you expect? I expect Paul to say to the husbands, husbands, go love your wife. And then I expect him to turn around to the wives and say, wives, love your husbands. Is Paul confused? I don't think so. I think he's owned to something that maybe we've not always caught from this text. Uh, A few years ago, probably a decade ago, uh, Mitch Temple referred me to a book called Love and Respect. And it's about this whole issue. He said when he's working with Focus on the Family, this was their number one recommended book about marriage. And it went back to this passage, Ephesians 5.33. It says there's a hidden secret here that we've missed. And that's that the primary need of a woman in a marriage is to be loved. And the primary need of a man in a marriage is to be respected. They said they did a retreat with hundreds of couples. They put the men on one side of the complex, the women on the other. And then they gave them a choice. You've got a choice between these two bad emotions. Not a good choice, but a bad choice. Either you can feel alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected. You can choose one of those two negative emotions. And of course, when they asked the women, they said the one that they would choose would be an inadequate and disrespected. And then they asked the men, expecting the same answer. Obviously, everybody wants love. And the men said, the emotion we would choose between those two bad things is to feel alone and unloved. 75% of the men answered that way. There was a gasp in the audience. And then they began to research it across every culture, across all age groups, for 24 years, 2,000 couples. And they came up with agreement with what Paul said here back in this ancient text. That, oh yes, men need love, but their primary need is respect. And yes, women need respect, but their primary need is love. Now that's so easy to overlook, isn't it? So easy to forget. Because here's what I do. I give what I need, not what she needs. You catch that? I mean, it's a very natural thing. You have a set of needs. You assume your spouse has the same set of needs. And and, and so you begin to give. Go on to that next slide if you would. You begin to give what you need instead of what she needs. And and wives, you may do the same thing. Reminds me of the the little um, family circus cartoon. And it's a Mother's Day cartoon, and there's a little boy, and he's getting undressed, and his clothes are laying on the floor, and his mom's uh, gathering the bathwater, and the little boy looks at the mom and says, Mom, I forgot. Is Mother's Day about you doing things for me, or about me doing things for you? Well, sometimes we forget, don't we? And sometimes in marriage, we forget that we don't need to give our spouse what we want, but what they actually need. And so today on Mother's Day, I want to talk about giving your wife or giving the women in your life, maybe even your mothers, what they need. And then we get to Father's Day, wives, we're going to talk to you about giving your husbands what they need. So so wives, you get to enjoy Mother's Day today. Amen? Don't you always hate it when you come to Mother's Day service and the preacher beats on on you being a mother? Gives you tips about being a better mother? We're not going to do that today. Everybody okay about it? Somebody give me a smile there. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Yes. 
Let's talk today about what we need to be giving our wives. We're going to use an acrostic, the word couple. The, The first word is closeness. She wants to be close to you. That's what she wants. In that passage that Paul quotes from Genesis 2 about a man leaving and cleaving to his wife, the word there means to cling to, to hold on to. You know, ancient cultures understood this better than us. I mean, listen to this passage from Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, about when you get married. What's a man supposed to do? If a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Isn't that amazing? You get a year off. Talking about a vacation plan? That's awesome. But ancient cultures understood the need for that leaving and clinging. Now, we probably can't set up a year off. But what can you do to have that kind of closeness? Number one, you need to make priority for time alone in your marriage. Make sure you don't fall to this mistake that's so easy to fall to is is to begin to give all your time to your children. You give all your time to your children, then you end up as an empty nester and you're looking at each other like you don't know each other. And you might not. I, I would say it's very important when you come home to spend a few minutes connecting and talking about your day. And remember to do those small things that, that make a difference. I always like that story of this couple. They go out to eat and wife's a little bit disturbed with her husband because he's just not very affectionate. Anybody got that problem? Don't raise your hand. All right? And they look across at this other couple sitting there. And, and the man's got his arm around the wife. He's brushing her hair. He's whispering sweet things into her ear and just uh, being so nice, attentive, you know, holding her hand. And find the wife with the not very affectionate husband says, Honey, do you see that? Why can't you do that? And the husband's so clueless, he says, I can't do that. I don't even know her. <laughs> well, Sometimes we need to wake up and not be quite so clueless, right? All right, we need, we need to express that closeness. So the next thing is very important is openness. She wants you to open up to her. She wants to fill a part of your life. So man, after you've been at work all day and you're tired and you come home and your wife says, what happened today at work? What do you normally say? Just tell me. You know it. What do you normally say? What happened today at work? Nothing. Well, how do you get a check? I mean, nothing. Oh, just same old, same old, you know, nothing, nothing unusual. Now, here's what we've got to understand, because I'm I'm the world's worst at that, is that she's not looking for you to bring some explosive revelation about what happened at work today. What she's looking for you to do is to let her in on your world. She wants to feel close to you and open with you. And and, and your marriage is really not going to work unless you do that. You see, we're wired differently. We're wired like those old Christmas trees. Remember, the, some of you probably never experienced these terrible trees where if you had 3,000 lights on them and one went out, the whole thing went out. Anybody remember those? Okay. And then we got these better trees where you could have 3,000 lights and 1,000 go out and 2,000 are still on. Now, which represents the man and which the woman? That's the woman. You see, you might think, you know, we're doing pretty good. Four out of five things in our relationship are good today. I'm feeling good. And she's thinking, it's lousy, you know. He doesn't even speak to me when he gets home. 
What you've got to understand is she connects it all. You can separate things in your mind and other areas of your marriage be good. If she doesn't feel that bond of closeness and openness with you, she's not going to feel it in the other areas either. You see, you confused her because when you were dating, you talked. It's a crazy thing. You opened up. You asked questions. You were interested in everything about her. And then you got married and you went silent on her. And she doesn't know what to do with that. You see, here's the difference. You're okay with just sitting on the couch watching a TV show or going to Home Depot together. Men are okay and feel close with what we call shoulder-to-shoulder relationships. Men, women feel close, your wife feel close in face-to-face conversation. And so you fooled her because you did that when you're dating and then you got married and you dropped it and you wonder why she's not feeling so close. So let's go to the next word, understanding. Here's a big one. Don't try to fix her, just listen. Well, how many men is that hard for? We're fixers by nature. That's what we like to do. We like to fix things. We like to see problems and come up with solutions. And so when she comes to me with a problem, I think, I think this crazy thought. She wants a solution. <laughs> she really probably doesn't. There's a great passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 where um, Peter's talking about the way you treat your wives. Uh, I think the NIV says treat her considerately. But the, the, the actual translation of the passage is treat your wives in an understanding way. Now, I like Peter here. I think he's good. He didn't say you had to understand her. <laughs> he just said you had to, uh, had to treat her in an understanding way. What's he saying? You need to be willing just to listen. So often, she doesn't want you to analyze. She doesn't want your five-point plan of how to overcome it. I'm good at that one. She just wants you to listen and care. Now, for you men, it feels like you've wasted time. Oh, we need a solution. You're having a bad day, and this isn't going right at work? Well, let me tell you what I'd do if I were there. And that's not what she wants. And here's the crazy thing that will happen. If you will just listen to her, she will say something that will blow your mind. You'll be through the conversation. You hadn't said a word, and you'll walk away, and she'll say to you, Oh, honey, I feel so much better. (laughs) And you're thinking, how can you feel better? That's the way it works. You say, what's confusing? Sometimes she does want solutions. Here's a great question that that we need to learn to ask as men. Okay, they're, they're sharing with this. Are you needing a solution, or are you just needing a listening ear? Just learn to ask that. Before you get in fix-it mode, just just ask that simple question. Would you like me to come up with a solution with you? I'll be glad to do that. That's what I do well. But if you'd rather me just listen, I'll just listen. That'll that'll involve a lot of conflict. That'll keep away a lot of conflict. Well, let's go to our next word, which is the word peacemaker. She wants you to say, I'm sorry. Let's just go ahead and practice this, men. How many could say it with me? I'm sorry. Say it with me. I'm sorry. Come on, Tim McCarthy, say it out loud. I'm sorry. I'm sure she has to say it much more, right? You know, there's something about you being the peacemaker in your house that Jesus says is blessed. Listen to me. Research says this. The best marriages have conflicts. Did you hear that? The best marriages have conflicts. So what do you call this sweet 
old couple that comes to church and says to you, Oh, buddy, we've never had an argument in our marriage. I'm going to tell you what you call them. You call them liars. <laughs> That's what they are, okay? Because every marriage has conflict. And conflict is not bad. Because the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. When you know your marriage is in trouble is when you're just indifferent to the things that bother you. So, anger can be okay, but, but anger is like a fire. Either it can be a controlled fire that actually could do some good, or it could be an out-of-control fire that could destroy everything you have. And that's why even while we've been studying this book of Ephesians, Paul said in, verse, in, in chapter 4 that you be angry and sin not. Guys, it's not sinful to be angry, but don't sin about it. I think it's some really practical advice. Don't even let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't, don't go to bed mad at each other. No matter how long it takes to sit up and to talk and to discuss, and you think as a man, man, that just wears me out. But let me tell you what it does for your wife. It makes her feel like you care. It makes you feel like you love her. Because when you just drop it, what she interprets is he doesn't even care enough to discuss it. So put your big boy pants on and be a peacemaker and be willing to say, I'm sorry. You might feel like you're just 5% wrong, but give me, give me a, let me give you a piece of advice. Admit you're part of the problem. Things will get a whole lot better. You know, here's, here's, the, here's the funny thing about all of this is, you know what, when you begin to be understanding, you begin to communicate, and you begin to get open, there's a closeness that builds. You see, man, sometimes we, we really, we don't understand this very well. Have you, let me try to illustrate it this way, and please don't get offended with me. But have you ever seen that couple come to church, and the woman is beautiful, and the man is dog ugly? Don't be looking at anybody right now. All right. You, you ever seen that? And you think, how did that happen? And here you are going to the gym and working out and big biceps and your stomach's ripped. And you think, that's what that woman should have wanted. Listen, they're not near as visually stimulated as you are. They like that ugly man because he listens. And he cares. And he lets her be a part of his life. So they're looking for something different than what you're looking for. And so you go and you be that person that's that peacemaker and that listener. Just a couple more words. The word loyalty. She needs to know that you're committed. Because especially in the culture we live today. Especially in the culture where divorce is so rampant. Let me make a point here. Because the best, way, the best way we can make a stand in the middle of the gay marriage controversy in our culture, the best way we can make a stand is by producing great marriages. See, one of the arguments is this heterosexual marriage thing's not working too well. Not even half of you guys can hardly stay together. How can you condemn us for trying something new when you've been such a failure there? So we, we need to be loyal. 
I know there are exceptions. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty who's been through the pain of divorce here. I I, I cannot understand because I've not been there, but I can only imagine how terrible that is. That's not where I'm going on this. But I'm saying whoever you're married to now, you be loyal to that person. The D word needs to be dropped from your vocabulary. I can remember like yesterday, the day on the beach in Pensacola, Florida, where Stephanie and I decided we would no longer use that word in any conversation. It was a great point in our marriage. Because when you throw that out, it's a bomb that causes incredible damage. That's why we revere the couples among us who've been married for decades and decades. That's why we need you. One of the most beautiful things I see that happens in this wonderful church is when an older couple is bonded with a younger couple and helps them through the challenges of marriage. And every marriage has them. And we need to find a way to make that happen more and more. Because we've got incredible couples. I'm looking at many of them right now who you've been married over decades. And I know from what you've told me, it's not always been easy. But you've done what's right and God's blessed it. And so many couples need to hear your stories. You don't need to be embarrassed about the conversation you had at the beach. That's real. You don't need to be embarrassed that there were points in your marriage you didn't know where you'd make it. What you need to do, though, is affirm that you obeyed God even when your emotions told you to do something else. And in the long run, God has blessed you with a great marriage because you didn't do what so many couples in our culture today. You give up before it gets good. Statistics say, not trying to discourage young couples today, most marriages don't really get good until about seven or eight years. So don't give up too soon. Be loyal. And then the last word here is the word esteem. She wants you to honor and cherish her. She wants you to honor her, cherish her. You need to express to her how valuable she is to you. You need to speak highly of her, especially in front of other people. We talked a few weeks ago about encouragement and how it takes 50 compliments. Some might lower the number all the way to four. It doesn't matter to me, four or 50, to make up for one negative. I I know that's true. You know that's true. And nowhere is that more true than in your marriage. You've got to esteem her. You know, I have people come to me quite often, men who say, you know, buddy, I'm not very close to God right now, and I, I I need to do something different. And there's a question I've learned this week that I should ask that I have never asked. That most of us husbands need to be asked. If you're feeling distance from God, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3, you're feeling distance from God and your prayers are being hindered because you're not treating your wife right. That'd be a good question. Not how's your quiet time going? How you studying the Bible? How's your prayer life going? Okay, before we even get to those things, the normal things, why don't we just ask for a moment? Because it might be making you distance from God because you're not treating your wife right. So esteem her. You see, buddy, this is, this is challenging. It is to all of us. And none of us hits 100% here. How in the world can we do this? How can we get to the point where we are able to love our wives this way? First of all, let me tell you, we can do it because we've seen it modeled. Where have we seen it modeled? Not just in those long-term couples among us. We saw it in Jesus. The crux of this passage for us as men 
is husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the crux of the matter. How can we do this? Because first of all, we've seen it in Jesus. But more than we've seen it, here's what I want to say. Hopefully you've experienced it. You see, have you let Jesus love you this way? You, you see, here's, here's what happens in marriage, okay? We, we, we've made these primary needs. Uh, a, a wife needs the expression of love. A husband needs an expression of respect. And here's what we do if we're not careful. I sit back waiting. I think, okay, I'll love her the way I'm supposed to love her when she respects me the way I'm supposed to be respected. And, and she stands over here in her corner thinking the same thing. If he would ever love me the way the Bible says he'd love me, pretty high standard, then I'd start showing him respect. But he's not worthy of respect right now. I'm telling you guys, that is a recipe for disaster in your marriage. How do you overcome it? You see it in Jesus and you experience in your own life through Jesus. You experience Jesus loving you when you were not worthy. You experience Jesus forgiving you when you didn't deserve forgiveness. You experience Jesus sticking with you and bearing with you in the worst times in your life. And because of that, off that platform, I can love my wife when I think she's unlovable. And she can respect me when she thinks I'm unrespectable. Because I've received it first from Christ. And guys, that's why Christian marriage should not only be the greatest defense of traditional marriage, but should be the greatest example in our culture of the very love that Jesus has for his people. We've got that opportunity. But it doesn't start by waiting on your spouse to be fixed or waiting on your spouse to treat you the way you think they ought to treat you. It starts with you, first of all, allowing God to love you and respect you and embrace you. And out of the security of this awesome relationship you have with Jesus, you now begin to emulate him in what you do in your marriage. That's the key. And so this morning, we're about to spend some time praying. There may be somebody here, and you need some prayers for your marriage. I, I would say to you what I said a moment ago, don't be ashamed of that. When you come up here and you say our marriage is in hard times, the rest of us will shake our heads and go, you know what, we've been there too. There will be so many people to minister to you. There will be couples that have been there years ago in their marriage who overcame that difficult point. And so if, if you need the prayers for your marriage today, if you're nudging your spouse right now saying, we, we need some help, please don't avoid that nudge. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you right now saying, you know what, it's been bad for a while, why don't we finally just say it and get the prayers of the church? We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe as an individual, you have never allowed God to love you completely. You're having a hard time not just loving your spouse, but being nice to people at work and being good to people at church even because you just don't feel that love yourself. And today, if we could embrace you as a people and pray for you to experience the love of Christ, we'll do that today. So if you need to come and let us pray for you today, why don't you come right now as we all stand and sing?